good morning, everyone. If we go a little late, um, it's probably because we've had an announcement sermon and a reading scripture sermon, and uh, the music kind of went a little long. We had a little break interludes in there, too. So, But anyway, um, as you know and as you heard, uh, we're getting doing these sort of cohorts and bringing in some other speakers. And that gives um, Jeff a break. You can't imagine if you had to do this every I mean, I know what it's like just to do this once in a while, but every week after week after week to get him a break, it's a it's a great opportunity for him as well. Um, and as we're and as you know, we've been going through these Psalms of Ascent, and uh, that's that little group of Psalms uh, in around uh, 119, 120, some 30 or something, and uh, we've been looking at them. And as you have heard from Jeff, that these we're thinking of this as a uh, that. These were likely pilgrims going on a journey and uh, journeying from one town to another. And they would use these psalms to sing and to proclaim and to remember uh, God's greatness and goodness and all of the things that he would do. Um, but this particular psalm is unique. I mean, it's so familiar that uh, it, it, it almost doesn't, it's hard to, you know, get our heads around it and get something new and extract out of it. But there's something very interesting about this Psalm 121. We just uh, heard certainly where do we lift our eyes to. But there are actually five things that are repeated in this particular uh, uh, Psalm of what God will do. And in the New International Version, we just heard it in a different version. It uses a different word. But in the New National Version, it translates the Hebrew word into this word that I want you to identify. So this is your job today. You don't have to break up into groups or anything. You just have to sit there. We're going to show it on the screen. Find the five words, the five things that God will do for us. And then there are two promises. In the, it's unique. Things that God promised he won't do. So I want you to find those two things. And while we're at it, um, let's just think of ourselves as pilgrims. We're gathered here together, and after this, we're going to go trudging through the snow, um, walking to Owen Sound, okay? And walking. No cars, no nothing. And it would be great. It would be good to know we got, you know, some help. Wouldn't you agree? And uh, in fact, it might be helpful even as we're walking along to, you know, sing that out. So I'm going to ask Michael to just bring that scripture up, and uh, you don't have to read it out. I'll read it. You've got your job. There'll be a test after, so be ready, okay? So I lift up my eyes to the, to the mountains, and where does my help come from? The maker of heaven and earth, and he will not let your foot slip, and he who watches over you will not slumber or doze. Indeed, he who watches over Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. For the Lord watches over you, and the Lord is your shade at your right hand, and the sun will not harm you by day, nor the moon by night. For the Lord will keep you from all harm, and he will watch over your life, and the Lord will watch over your coming and going, both now and forevermore. So I said there'd be a test after. Anyone want to just shout out the word for the five repeated words? Anyone Okay, I guess this is harder than I thought. So the word watches. Did you have it? Okay. Yeah. 
So you've got your Bible out, so maybe that's why you read it. So it, it, um, the word watches is repeated five times. And there are two things that God said he wouldn't do. Can you remember what that was? He will not let your foot slip. It's, that's, I thought that might come out. It's really, it's true. He won't, it's something he'll do to not have us do. But there are two things that God promised he won't do. And he said he will never slumber or sleep. So he won't, he's not going to let that happen. And um, so this too would be a great thing to have God watch over us while we're walking to Owen Sound and he's not going to take any time off, that uh, he's there with us all the time. So this idea of watching, of course, in this time, and as you're uh, going out like this, this, it, it, this would be a very important concept to have someone under, uh, watch over you. Uh, for If you're pilgrims and you're journeying, um, there's lots of threats and perils. And you, as it said here, you could have, as mentioned, uh, you could, your foot could slip on the path. They didn't have all kinds of signs. There's no Tim Hortons along the way. You had to bring everything with you, maybe your kids, everything. And there, you'd be journeying across um, in the desert, it says. There'd be the sun, the hot, uh, the cold nights. They wouldn't have their homes. They probably were camping out at night. And so it would be a very, uh, you know, it you know, could be a very difficult situation. So having this watch, there's, there's also for us, of course, the difference between us is when we walk to Owen Sound, we got our phones with us, and if we get into a problem, what are we calling upon? We're going to call 911. They had no such thing, of course. So it's hard to get our thoughts. Imagine there's nothing, no phones, no nothing. It's up to us to get there. And uh, we're going to have to, really. So they understood this need for each other. Um, that uh, not only would God uh, be watching over them, but they too had to watch over each other. And so they had to be vigilant. Okay, we're, we're going to make it there. We got to be safe. And so at that time, when nighttime came, this was the time that they had to keep watch. That was just something that would be normal for them to do. We don't quite get that, um, that whole watching thing. Uh, but at that time, they knew that at night, they would have to do and keep the four watches. That's the evening watch, the, um, uh, the uh, let's see here, the midnight watch. There's actually, the third watch is called the when the rooster crows watch. And that was understood at that time. Um, that would help because you'd know when that watch is over, I guess. And then the fourth watch is the, um, the evening, or the watch, the morning watch. So everyone knew they had to take a role. This would be divided up amongst them. They'd all have to do that. So it's very very secure to know that not only was God watching over them, but they had their uh, fellow travelers watching over them at night. And then, and then we ourselves are going to have to take a shift and watch over. So watching is a big, huge deal. Not so much for us. We know that there's people watching. Uh, we've got, um, you know, our firefighters here that are, you know, we get into trouble, they're there, they're on there. But they had no, they only had themselves. So these, this, this sense of watching was very secure for them. It's no wonder then that this attribute of God, the two things that are promised that he won't do, we always think of the promises of what God will do, but these two things that God won't do, he won't slumber or sleep, is huge. Because what, what is... Um, 
what is the greatest temptation for someone who's keeping watch at night? You ever tried to stay up at night? Yeah, you fall asleep. You do- or you doze off, get distracted, all of those things. Um, so they had to keep vigilant, and they, it was really, really known, because they, they too might have uh, been susceptible to that. So this whole watching and waiting theme, perhaps because this culture, it was so, uh, they could so identify with that, that it's throughout Scripture. You'll see God calling us to watch, to wait, to, uh, to be ready. And uh, so none other, I was trying to think, you know, so where is this so clearly shown? And I think it's maybe most clearly shown in the Garden of Gethsemane, this whole idea of watching. Um, and so we're going to look at this story, the Garden of Gethsemane, you know it well. We're going to look at it more through the, um, the disciples' role in this story. Um, so let's, let's back up a little bit. This whole Garden of Gethsemane idea and why did they go there and why were they there. Um, Garden of Gethsemane is just outside of Jerusalem, so they would be ministering in Jerusalem throughout the day. And uh, likely because the crowds would always follow them, they'd exit the city um, so they could spend their evening and they could spend their time in, in, in quietness and get some rest at night. And so they had, it says that they would go to the Garden of Gethsemane often. It's just outside of Jerusalem. It says it's in, the, uh, it's in an olive grove on the Mount of Olives. So, okay, so get the, we're in the garden. So you go to the Mount of Olives, then there's an olive grove, and then they find the Garden of Gethsemane. I, I'm a camping person, I'm sure. You know, so this, we think of gardens as this manicured sort of place where they've trimmed all the hedges and flowers. No, it's just a nice grove, it's a nice spot. If you choose a campsite, if you ever done that, you find that great spot, a little bit of coverage, a little bit of sheltered. They would have found the best spot in, uh, in all this whole olive grove. And, because, and it wouldn't be out in the wild, right? So it's a little bit cultured because they're an olive grove. There's people outside, but they're not coming through at night. So you're not in the, uh, out there where it can get um, a little scary, I guess, at night. So maybe, and this is why Judas... It was necessary for, to have Judas to find them because they would have never found them in the garden, you know, olive, Mount of Olives. Okay, Jesus is out there in the Mount of Olives somewhere. Oh, and then, and so it, it had to go. So Judas was necessary to find that place because they went there all the time. In fact, this was such a great spot. I suspect that they didn't have to keep watch because this is really a great, awesome place and Jesus would have found this place so the disciples could sleep at night. But this night, um, Jesus tells them, he gathers the disciples, you know the story, he told the disciples to sit here and rest. He tells them all to sit here and rest, but he chooses three that night, Peter, James, and John. And he takes them away, the rest are sleeping, okay, he's got his three disciples with him. He shares his distress, and he says to them, perhaps for the first time, uh, keep Watch with me. So when we hear, when we hear the word keep watch, um, it kind of sounds like we're inviting someone over. Come on over. We're going to hang out together. We're going to be together. We're going to do stuff. Maybe we'll come over and watch TV or watch the game or something. But when the term keep watch is said, they all knew what this meant. That's the, 
those are the four uh, uh, watches that are in the night, and you would take a roll. And, and when you keep watch, you gather together, and you, amongst these three disciples, they would be as, assumed that they would then divide it up amongst the three of them, each taking a watch. If it was evening time, there'd be three watches left, uh, the uh, midnight watch, the, when the rooster crows, and the morning watch. Perhaps they each took one of those. Um, and, they, and, and, and Jesus said, or it says that Jesus went off a stone's throw away to pray. Normally they go to the Garden of Gethsemane, he'd be off praying all the time, all night. They didn't know how he could do it, but that's what he would do. They were accustomed to that. But now they were close by. It says a stone's throw away. I was trying to think of a stone's throw. Um, probably would end up in the last row somewhere. So you'd be able, they would be able to hear Jesus praying. And that's why we have his prayers likely recorded because they heard those. It doesn't say that Jesus went away and they went, <laughs> fell asleep. They likely spent some time trying to stay up. And we know that uh, Jesus comes back and says, uh, and finds them sleeping and says, can you not stay awake even for an hour? And uh, he says to them, now watch and pray. So it's not just praying. And we all understand this whole idea of that we should pray and we should gather and pray. But he says, watch and pray. And they're on watch. So why this watch and pray? And he says, why? That you will not enter into temptation. So he didn't come back and he, and he says, uh, for the spirit is willing, but the body is weak. So he didn't come back just to, you know, you guys, can't you stay awake just for an hour? No, he wants to warn them of something, that you have to be ready. You have to watch and pray because you could enter into temptation. And so a second time he goes away, comes back, and finds them sleeping again. And, uh, and it says why they were sleeping. It's interesting. He says their eyes were heavy. We all know that. You know that feeling? Driving at night, and all of a sudden you can't remember the last minute of the road, uh, that kind of dozing feeling. And uh, so their eyes were heavy. And, and why would is it so easy for them to, to fall asleep here? So let's just go back to this idea. This is the Garden of Gethsemane. They've been here a lot. It is the coolest, quietest, safest place ever they could ever find. And they've been coming there a lot. They didn't hear a peep, the odd little animal scurrying around, but nothing had ever happened. Nothing. They'd been sleeping. So Jesus is asking them to keep watch this night. So there isn't any imminent danger, and so you try to stay up. Okay, I've prayed this now. Um, okay, now what? Um, nothing's going on, and so we'll try to stay up. And then, you know, you just doze off because it's so tranquil. It's a, great, it's a place of rest. Um, and yet Jesus said, I want you now to watch and pray in this place. So Jesus uh, left and, 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 came and prayed a third time and comes back and uh, returns to the disciples and says, are you still sleeping and resting? Look, the hour is near and the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us go. See, my betrayer is approaching. Now they were awake, right? Now they saw, they, they woke up. For now they could hear the the approaching uh, crowd of uh, coming. Maybe they could see the glow of the torches and, and hear the murmur of the men and the tromping of the feet. 
and all of the things that you would want to be aware of if you were keeping watch, but they had slept and they had to be actually woken up by Jesus to see and to hear what's taking place. And they're shocked as Jesus is taken away. The worst scenario, imagine you're a, you're a watch person, okay? And this is your job here. Make sure nothing happens. And if you hear of anything, warn us and we'll take care of this. So, but this night, at, you're the watch person. There's the worst possible things have taken place. For you've been betrayed by your own. Intruders had entered their camp. They were overpowered and they took away your leader. I mean, what? It, it can't get worse than that. See, the, 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 and why, why did this happen? The peaceful setting of the garden lulled them to sleep. See, Jesus wanted them to watch and pray in the garden because he knew a crisis was coming. That when the crisis comes, that's not the time to watch and pray. You watch and pray before. And so three times he came back to them and said, this is the time to watch and pray. And he says, do not fall into temptation. There are many things you could think he might say to them. But he says, for the spirit is willing, for they wanted to stay awake. They really did. I have no um, qualms in thinking that that wasn't their highest intention, that they were going to, this night, even though we haven't, kept watch before, we're going to stay awake. And yet, they didn't understand that the body is weak, so they needed to pray about that. So we watch and pray while it is still calm. So it's in that place of calmness where we, th we don't have the energy of the crisis to maybe uh, compel us to pray, but it's in that calmness. That's where we hear the voice of God. That's when we can hear and watch and see. That's when we know what God is saying because we need that quietness. When we're in the storm, have you ever tried to talk over a storm? The wind's blowing. I've been out there in the boat. And uh, it, it, it's not the time to be listening. It's the time to be shouting. And that's what happened when uh, they entered the Garden of Gethsemane. There was all kinds of shouting now. And the time to listen had passed. So we are accustomed to praying in crisis, right? Crisis happens, let's get together and pray. And, and, and prayer and watching becomes a reaction. Our prayer is a reaction to events where God wants us to respond to events. If we are praying and we are in that place of listening and we're watching, we anticipate that something may take place in the future and we are ready because we've been praying at that time. All pr if, we, if we pray only when we have a crisis, it's like calling the watchman in after the place has been invaded. There's still a time to pray, but the time to watch and pray is lost, and the opportunity to respond has been lost. Okay, the story continues, and it gets worse. Then everyone deserted him and fled. And early in the morning, the chief priests, elders, scribes, and the whole Sanhedrin, they devised a plan. As you know, they bound Jesus, led him away, and handed him over to Pilate. Meanwhile, we know about Peter. He's, maybe this was his watch, I don't know, but he doesn't just flee away. He follows, finds out where they've taken Jesus. He's at um, Pilate's palace, so he goes there. 
uh, tries to get in as close to Jesus as he can, find out what he can. He, can. he goes into, uh, as far as he can go, uh, it's one of the courts in the, in the, in the palace there, and it, he can't go any further. He gets past the, uh, the guard keeper, and he, as you know, he's just kind of huddling off to the side. Uh, I mean, he's afraid because they could maybe arrest him. Um, who knows? And uh, so he keeps in the dark, but, but now he, he, he sees the cluster of people around a fire, and he's cold. Remember, it's cold at night, and uh, that's attractive. And he hears that these guys and women, all the people that were there, uh, were at, some of them were actually there during the rest, and they're talking about it. This is big news. So he wants to get this intel, and so he comes closer um, to the fire to warm himself, and he stays on the outside perimeter a little bit, so he won't be seen. He can just sort of listen a little bit. But he doesn't realize that the fire, the glow of the fire, exposes his face. And as anyone, if you're sitting around and you see someone new come in, you notice them. And uh, they say to him, hey, uh, weren't, you with, uh, weren't you with Jesus? And of course, he denies it. And, and he thinks it's all settled now. And he maybe gets a little closer. And his face is exposed even more by the fire. And another one identifies him. It says, no, we've seen you with him. And he, he denies it. And a third time, they've, they said, no, we're, we're, we're sure. And uh, he denies it, as you know. And then, of course, we see or we hear the um, rooster crow as a signal, as Jesus had predicted. You see, Peter had put his confidence in... Um, in his willing spirit. Because Jesus said the spirit is willing, and we know that Peter had a willing spirit. Think back to when Jesus said to him, um, uh, you're going to deny me tonight before the rooster crows. Uh, you're going to deny me uh, th three times. And think of Peter. Okay, so the rooster crowing thing is not just some eloquent way of, well, yeah, kind of a cool thing. No, the rooster crow is the third watch, remember? So now that's a time period. They all knew what that meant, all right? Uh, and so he's going, okay, we're going to the Garden of Gethsemane tonight. Um, the rooster crows, it's going to be the middle of the night. Garden of Gethsemane is like the quietest, safest place there is in the world. Um, uh, it's not going to, Jesus, it's not going to happen. I, I can't even foresee anything that could take place that would remotely cause me to um, deny you. And so you said it's not going to happen. And what was he relying on? He was relying on the false confidence of his willing spirit and didn't realize that he had to pray, that Jesus said, you had to watch and pray because you have a willing spirit, Peter, but don't you know that your body is weak and that you may respond differently. And he didn't catch that part. And so Peter being Peter um, carries on uh, with the best he knows how. So the story um, uh, carries on, as you know, and Pilate condemns Jesus to be crucified. He's taken to be nailed to the cross. And let's just look at a little bit of this time frame because we're looking at watches and different time frames. Um, scripture indicates that this took place at the third hour when he was crucified on the cross. So we're kind of going through this story. And uh, that's about 9 o'clock, 9 a.m. in the morning. Actually, it is exactly 9 a.m. And it says that he actually died at 3 p.m. in the afternoon 
Why is this important? There's actually, it's actually like two watches. Uh, they wouldn't normally be done during the day, but there's an interesting part of this, as we know. At 12 noon is when uh, the place was plunged into darkness. So the last, uh, if I'll call it a watch or a shift, the last three hours was actually in darkness. And no one was prepared for that to watch, uh, to watch for. Uh, so here we are. But let's get this uh, sort of picture of Jesus' uh, last uh, hours uh, on the cross. We know that uh, this took place on Galgoa. This is an elevated hill just outside of Jerusalem. So you could see over Jerusalem. It's higher. And of course, Jesus is on the cross. So he has this sort of bird's eye view of everything that's going around him. Uh, and he's able to keep watch. And what does he see? What does he, what does he see? What, how does he spend these six hours? This last six hours of his living life as, a, as the man here, uh, what does he do with that time? What does he do with, with his watch? And, and so he sees a number of things. He looks around and he looks down and he sees his scorners and detractors. And they're scorning him and they're mocking him. And what does he do with that? While he's on the cross, as you know, he says, forgive them, for they know not what they're doing. And then from this elevated position in Galgoa, he could look over Jerusalem and see Jerusalem and watch over it. For just days earlier, we recall that he wept over Jerusalem. And so there was that city he could watch over. And then also he could see the women close by watching. Now, I somehow missed this a lot of times, but he says he looked over and he saw a group of women watching off in the distance. And it turns out that these women, uh, amongst them were Mary Magdalene, but these women had followed Jesus and ministered to him while he was in Galilee. This group of women had been following him and ministering day after day while Jesus was, while Jesus was doing his ministry, and they had followed him and came to this place now where Jesus is on the cross, it could be forgiven them if they thought their job was over, right? Their job was to minister to Jesus, do, you know, help him, probably attend to his needs, whatever. And, uh, uh, they, but they didn't leave. In fact, it says they were there to the very end. And what were they doing, the Bible says? It says they watched him. They were watching. So where are the disciples? Guys? There's one here we know of. Where are all the guys? We know where we are. We're off somewhere trying to fix this, right? <laughs> we're trying to, we're going to come up with some strategy. What are we going to do now? What are we going to say? What are we, how are we going to make a living? How, what, th this is a disaster, and they're planning and scheming and whatever. But the, the work to be done at this moment in time, the women knew, it's the time to watch, to watch. And I'm sure they prayed for him. I'm sure. So he also kept watch over his fellow condemned prisoners. Here he is being condemned, and he's watching over them. One to his right and one to his left, and what does he do? He forgives his fellow prisoner, inviting him into paradise. And just before, we're now at the end of the third um, the third watch, just before uh, 3 p.m., he does one last thing. He, he looks down to his mother and a disciple, 
and watches over them. And we assume that his mother was a widow at this time, and uh, he's about to take care of her. And so we have to assume that during, and it would be traditional for a son to look after their mother during the time they're alive, usually the, you know, until their death, uh, the son would outlive the mother. Uh, but in this case, that's not going to happen. And he knows that. He realizes it's still his responsibility. His last breaths, he is looking after his mother. He's watching over her. And he says to his disciple, will you take care of my mother? and uh, watch over her. And he knew that that was a lifetime commitment. That wasn't just get her settled in an old folks home and, you know, it's done. No, he was going to look after her for the rest of her life, provide for his needs. And they agreed. And at that, when he knew that that work was done, that he breathed his last breath. See, Jesus didn't slumber nor sleep even on the cross, when it was really, really hard, he still watched. So, in the last vestiges of darkness, Jesus breathes his last breath, as we say, and I wonder, now twilight is coming, because this is the end of darkness, right? And in this twilight, I wonder if there were some confused roosters. Right? Hey, it's, morning again. They, just hours earlier, they had done their thing. And now, but rather at, at, at Peter's denial, but now they crow again, and uh, not as the denial, but, our, but signaling the commitment of Christ. See, see, he did what no other watcher could do. He turned what looked like failure, and they had, as we know, we saw earlier how the disciples had failed. But Jesus even looked like he was at failure, but he turned it into victory. He endured the cross, scorning its shame, bore the sins of the world, as you know, and resurrected the third day and has forgiven us all. So where does that, where does that leave us? Where does that put us? Um, for Really, for the most part in the West, us in, in our churches, um, we're, pre- we're in a pretty comfortable place. And I might say that we're in the Garden of Gethsemane, really. I mean, I know there's difficulties, and I know we have struggles, and there's health issues and all, but when we compare ourselves to some place like Nigeria, where 9,000 Christians were killed last year, we are in a pretty place. We're a pretty good place. It's pretty peaceful. We're in that Garden of Gethsemane, not yet seeing the crisis. And here, we're asked to, to watch and pray at this time. Once again, I believe when Jesus invited his disciples to watch and pray, he was inviting his church. He was forming his church. This is the way it's going to be now. I'm not just watching over you like in Psalm 120. Sure, uh, it assured us of our God watching over us. But Jesus is now investing in us, his church, to share in this work of the kingdom, the work of watching with him, each of us, And uh, imagine with me the church cultivating a posture of watching and praying. Watching and praying. Not as an assigned duty, but rather responding to this invitation that we are invited to watch and pray with Christ, invited to wait and hear his voice, um, not not just a stone's throw away, but with the intimacy of Christ in us.
And I want to end here with this um, well-known verse. You, you probably have heard it, and, and, and Jesus is speaking these words. And he says, Be on your guard and stay alert, for you do not know when the appointed time will come or what events will take place. You don't know. Just like Peter didn't know. He thought he knew. It's going to be tomorrow. It's going to be the same as today. Do we know that? Do we know tomorrow will be the same as today? We don't. So what do we do? We watch. Let's read on. He says, because of that, because you don't know, therefore, and that's why you keep watch at night, because you don't know. And says, therefore, you have to keep watch. Because you do not know. Because you don't know when the master of the house, in this case, will return or what event will take place. Because you don't know, you have to keep watch. And he says, this is where you have to keep watch. It's interesting. He says, you keep watch whether in the evening, first watch, at midnight, the second watch. When the rooster crows, third watch, or in the morning, you have to keep watch. You must keep vigilant. Otherwise, and he's saying otherwise, you, what, what may happen if we don't? In this case, he may arrive without notice, or the unexpected um, thing will happen, like Peter, goodness, they get raided in the Garden of Gethsemane. Who, knew, who would have known that? And in this case, you know, Jesus, you have to be ready without notice to find So he may arrive without notice and find you doing what? Sleeping. This isn't con- condemnation. Jesus didn't come back to the disciples and wag his finger. He said, I want you to be ready. He was war- it was a warning, not a rebuke. And so he finishes with this. And what I say to you, so he's talking to a group like this and, 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 and proclaiming this story. And so pretend you're that group, right? But he wants to make it really clear, uh, this isn't just for you. He says, I say this to everyone, everyone. So the people outside uh, of us that are part of the uh, community, um, all of the children of Israel, and for all those coming forward, uh, I say to everyone, so the idea is like there's no exemptions here, like, uh, and he says, I want you to keep watch. Everyone gets that opportunity as it was understood that anyone who would go on a pilgrimage, as we've been reading this in Psalm 121, they all took a watch. It was just expected. There was no exemptions. And he's saying, I say this to everyone, keep watch. Let's pray. And I'm going to pray, God, that we too, the prayer that you told us to pray, or told uh, um, Peter to pray in the Garden of Gethsemane, we pray that prayer now. And we want to continue to pray this prayer that we won't enter into temptation. For we acknowledge that we have come with willing spirits. We, we are determined to do what's right. But we recognize there's something within us that causes us to sin sometimes and to slumber and to sleep. And so we want to be on, the, we want to be on watch. So Father, keep us from entering into temptation and deliver us from evil as your prayer instructed us. Thank you. Amen.
Thanks for listening to the Blue Mountain Community Church Podcast. May God's word fill you up this week. God bless.